We have reached the second weekend of December. The holidays are right around the corner, and we have been in the thick of women's college basketball for over a month. What have and haven't we learned so far? It gives us a lot to talk about, and it all starts right now. Ogumba Wallet for the win. You are locked on women's basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Happy Monday, friends. It is December 12th, 2022. I am Missy Heydrich, National Women's Basketball Correspondent at The Next. Thank you for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash NBA. You can follow me on Twitter at Missy Hydric and be sure to follow the next at the next hoops and online at www.thenexthoops.com. And of course, this podcast you'll find on Twitter at Lockdown WBB. Today, we are diving into the first weeks of the college basketball season. What have and haven't we learned so far? It's about teams, it's about players, it's about the intangibles and some surprises along the way. Will it be this way in another month? Probably not, but we've got to follow the road that it takes us and what we are given right now. Here to help me break it all down is one of my awesome colleagues at The Next, Michelle Smith, a veterans women's sports journalist and someone with her thumb right on the beat of college basketball all across the country. She's out on the West Coast bright and early today on this Monday. Michelle, first and foremost, I want to think that the one thing that hasn't necessarily surprised everybody as we look at this first month is the two teams that sit at the top of the polls in first and second. You saw them in person. It went down to the wire, an overtime win for South Carolina at Stanford. Talk to me a little bit about these two teams, what you saw when you saw them in person, what strikes you about what they've been able to do in this first month of the season. Yeah, um, you know, I mean, it was a game that South Carolina goes to Maples Pavilion and wins in overtime. Um, and if not for a couple, frankly, boneheaded plays by the Cardinal down late, you know, an ability to get the ball in on, you know, in five seconds and then calling a timeout they didn't have, it might have even had a different outcome and we might have been flipping these two teams at one and two. Um, but the, I think that they're just a tier above right now. And I think one of the biggest reasons why is they both have healthy rosters and I will find some piece of particle board to knock on some people <laughs> would, because we want everybody to have healthy rosters. We want to yeah. knock on wood for everybody. Um, but everybody doesn't have that luxury at the moment. Um, but Stanford and South Carolina are healthy. They are deep. They are experienced. Um, you know, and I think that experience carries a long way, obviously, you know, you've got Aaliyah Boston and Zaya Cook and you've got, you know, South Carolina has all kinds of pieces and so does Stanford and Stanford's got this size that they just bring off the bench at you in waves. And so, you know, it's really, really hard not to imagine at this point that both of these teams won't be in Dallas. Things happen, obviously, um, but they are, they do have the benefit right now of being healthy and a lot of teams are still figuring that out. I think that it seems as though when you look at these two and obviously a a huge non-conference game that comes together, South Carolina goes all the way across the country. Mm -hmm. 
they're trying to get themselves in preparation for the grind of the SEC, Stanford doing the same thing. But when I have to look at the two teams and I think, well, who's maybe going to be challenged a little bit more in their conference, it seems as though the rise of the Pac-12 right now sitting in a great spot there's going to be some people that are absolutely biting at the heels of Stanford over the course of the next couple months. And that may change a little bit, kind of the trajectory of what the season looked like for Stanford. Yeah. I, you know, Stanford ran through the conference last year, pretty, I don't want to say easily because it's not easy, but they, you know, they got, they ran through the conference and they dominated in the PAC 12. And I don't know that it's going to be the same this year. It'll be interesting to see how Stanford's depth and experience matches up against, say, Utah, who Mm -hmm. just can score like crazy. And we can talk about, you know, we'll talk a little bit later about how transfers have changed some of the outlets for these teams. But Utah is a team with a big transfer that's made a huge impact, and they're scoring in bunches. You've got a team like Oregon. So Oregon holds, you know, they beat Oregon State last night. They Some of these Pac-12 games are starting a little early in the rivalry series. Yeah. So that was a big win for Oregon yesterday against Oregon State at home. And they've got some young talent in addition to some experience. Um, UCLA is playing great. You know, there's there are, you know, probably four teams. Arizona, Arizona took it on the chin against Kansas earlier this week. Um, and they're going to need to figure out a little bit how well they're prepared because their schedule had, had been a little bit soft, but they're going to play Baylor this weekend. Yeah. Another barometer for Arizona. And we've talked about that here. I've written about that. But, you know, there are a number of teams that are sort of auditioning for that number two spot in the Pac-12. And I think any of them could be positioned on a given day to give, you know, to knock out Stanford. And you've got a team like Washington State. Colorado always plays Stanford tough. So I don't think Stanford runs through this conference like the proverbial hot knife through butter. But on, you know, but in the end, Stanford's built to win this conference. Stanford is built with experienced All-Americans you know, depth, young players, they've got, you know, a freshman point guard, Talana Polo, who is just so steady for them. She's not giving them a lot of offense, but her assist to turnover ratio is crazy low and she's super poised and she's distributing. Cause if you want to play point guard for Tara, your only instruction is get the ball to the bigs. Like, yes. you know, like it's, you know, can you get the ball inside? And if you can, then welcome to the point guard role. Right. So, <laughs> um, you know, there are, and and then, you know, and South Carolina and the SEC, I mean, Tennessee being hobbled at this point, mm-hmm. I think makes the pathway a little bit easier. I, you know, I think Arkansas is having a great run. It'll be interesting to see how they're rolling up when it comes to the conference season. But I think that Stanford's going to have a little tougher time moving through its conference probably than South Carolina. Yeah, I would agree with you there. Okay. Uh Let's talk a little bit about some of those intangibles. And I think one of the intangible things that we have learned over the course of this first month plus of the season is how big of an impact injuries can have on teams, on rosters, on specific games and matchups. Um, It seems as though we have seen a lot of bigger names go down early, more more of those impact type injuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could talk about UConn. We know that Indiana has been dealing with it with Grace Berger being out. You mentioned Baylor. Asia Blackwell played three mm-hmm. games and then she goes down. She did put something out on her personal social media over the course of the weekend that she's, it looks as though she'll be getting ready to return soon, mm-hmm. which is a good sign for Baylor. But let's just talk to me a little bit about where as injuries set in, how how that changes this landscape, not only individually for teams, but I think it's across the board for women's basketball as a whole. Well, I think it changes the landscape more than it used to because 
there's more parity than there used to be. There are more teams that are prepared to take advantage of a team that's hobbled by injuries. I mean, what's going on in UConn is just lousy, lousy luck. I mean, you know, to lose Paige and then to lose AZ and just have, you know, have those players that, you know, they've got a list of players that are out or injured and, you know, you can't, you know, even Gino isn't, you know, as good a coach as he is, you can't coach through not having your best players on the floor. Although the interesting thing about UConn is, is that, you know, beyond those best players on the floor, that roster doesn't look sort of one to 12 or one to 13 quite the way it used to. Again, a sign of parity. People are choosing other places. If you don't think you're going to play a lot, you're not sitting at the end of UConn's bench anymore. You are playing at, so you are playing someplace else. Yeah. And so, Teams that are absorbing injuries aren't getting the benefit of being able to win anyway because the rest of their roster is so good because the talent is now so spread out across the country between people just making different choices and the transfer portal and all of the ways in which the talent is dis- is dispersing across the country. You're just not going to get away with being able to have one of your main players out and being able to sort of weather that in a, you know, in a really solid way. You're going to pay for that if you're one of your best players is out of the game. Well, um, and, and it's a- hard. I want to see everybody play. I want to see yes. everybody play. We don't want to see kids hurt. We want to see everybody play. Um, but you're going to pay more when you've got a good player out because other teams have better players mm-hmm. and they're going to compete against you harder. I mean, Maryland beat UConn yesterday for the first time in what was it ever? I mean, I, you know, it was, you know, but Maryland gets a win over UConn that, you know, they're, they might not get, you know, they might, but they might not get with a couple of other players on the floor for UConn. Um, but Maryland's good enough to take advantage of that situation. There are teams that are going to be good enough to take advantage of a situation where a team is facing a significant injury. Well, and I think the other piece of it is it's kind of trying to put, trying to look at it with a little bit of a silver lining is, is that when you do have a marquee player or, you know, a starter removed from your roster because of that, it's an opportunity for somebody else to step up. And Mm -hmm. that's what you're seeing. You know, I think Indiana has been able to do that. They've been able to weather not having Grace Mm -hmm. Berger on the floor. Other people have stepped into that role. A kid like a Sydney Parrish who transfers to Indiana Mm -hmm. from Oregon. She was coming in off the bench. Now she's in the starting lineup, kids averaging double figures and making an impact in games. So I kind of go with the idea of next person up. Are you ready to take that role my hope is, is that any kid that's sitting on the bench at any school across the country, if you if you want to play Division One basketball and your number's called, you're ready to go. And that's opportunity that presents itself. You do what you have to do to help your team. Yeah. What's interesting is, is I wonder if the coaches would say that the next person up is always of the same quality that it used to be. Right. Considering that if you don't want to, if that if you're the next person up and you're tired of waiting, you've probably put your name into the portal and you're someplace else now. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, that's the impatience that the portal is going to bring to teams and to players is that, you know, you might be willing to wait to be the next person up in the old days and be ready and do put that work in. But it are those players down toward the end of your bench as good as they used to be if the players that, you know, were really you were really counting on to be ready have gone someplace else because they were tired of waiting. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Okay, we're going to talk more in just a moment, especially transfers. There's been a host of young women making an impact all across the country. 
But first, are you wasting money on subscriptions? It happens to all of us, everybody. 80% of people have subscriptions that they forget about. Maybe for you, it's unused Amazon Prime account or a Hulu account that never gets streamed. There's this great app to use that helps you track all of your expenses. And because of it, you'll no longer waste money on subscriptions you don't even use. You might have heard of it. It's called Rocket Money formerly known as Truebill. The app shows you all your subscriptions in one place and cancels what you don't want for you. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions you didn't know you were paying for, and we all know we have them. You may even find out you've been double charged for a subscription. To cancel a subscription, all you have to do is press cancel and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. So cancel unnecessary subscriptions with Rocket Money today. Go to rocketmoney.com slash NBA. Seriously, it can save you hundreds per year. That's rocketmoney.com slash NBA. I am Missy Heydrich, and thank you for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen today for your second listen today. Check out Locked On Sports today from the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports. Go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insight only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports today, available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. Michelle Smith is joining me today. And Michelle, you mentioned it earlier in a team that is really intriguing to me and have reaped the benefits of the transfer portal, but it's the Utah Utes out in the Pac-12. This team can score. They have beat some people handily over the course of this first month of the year, and they are on a trajectory up the poles um, of which they haven't seen in many, many years. Talk to me about Utah. What makes this team go right now? They um, they can score from the perimeter. They're really good shooters. They've got a lot. They've got a ton of young players. They're got, you know they've got three sophomores on the floor: Gianna Neepkins and Kennedy McQueen and Jenna Johnson. Got three sophomores on the floor. But they got in the, the missing piece for them was a post player. And Alyssa Peely, who was at USC, who was the Pac-12 Freshman of the Year a couple of years ago, transferred to Utah. And has made a huge impact and has really elevated what they can do. And so I really like Utah. Utah is a little scary. And that trip is scary for people. Now, all of a sudden, because Colorado's a team that's been to the tournament now, Utah's a team that went back to the tournament this year. That mountain trip in the Pac-12, once you get to conference play, used to be, you know, it just wasn't quite the threat that it is now. But you're playing at altitude. You've got two plane flights to go to Salt Lake City and to Boulder. Like all of a sudden, that trip gets scary for people, and that includes the top teams in this conference. Utah's going to be a scary opponent for people, and I'm pretty excited because they play. You know, you want to see teams score, and they score in bunches. They put up 124 against Oklahoma, it was a ranked team when they walked in there. Yeah, and that was incredible, right? Like that was a you know they've got a couple of good SEC wins. They've got, I mean. Utah's really, really playing at a high level. And so um, I think Utah's going to be really, really dangerous, even to a team like Stanford, I think, because Stanford can score and Utah can score. And, you know, it only takes somebody going off and having a really big night to, you know, bring it, you know, to cause an upset. And I think Utah thinks they can beat people. That's the other thing. So, you know, but the transfers have been, I mean, if you start to go around the country, you know, you've got Angel Reese, who's, you know, a double double machine at LSU. They haven't played anybody yet. I mean, yes. we talk about SEC in competition for South Carolina. It's yeah. hard to judge LSU because they haven't played anybody yet. But Angel right. Reese is doing her thing. You know, you got Ashley Awusu at Virginia Tech, and they're you know now all of a sudden a top ten team. I mean, you've got interesting things going on, and those tr- these transfers that are having a big impact. The big transfers 
-hmm. are having a big impact. But there are other transfers that are really moving teams. And I'm going to come back to the Pac-12 because it's my home spot. But you're looking at a player like um, Ty Skinner, who came with Natasha Adair from Delaware. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was all of a sudden, you know, Arizona State was the grind it out defensively, make you play ugly, low scoring, not always the best offensive team. But Charlie Turner Thornton had an identity with them. And Natasha Adair is sort of shaking things up. And Skinner comes in and she's had like four games over 20 points. She's had like two 29 point games. And she's, you know, Arizona State isn't usually a place where you have an offensive star. And Skinner is a transfer and she's doing that for them. For example, what Peely's doing, um, you've got uh, Kaylee, Katie Sissoko at USC. And USC is interesting because USC's record is really, really nice right now. And and Lindsay Gottlieb is a good coach. And yes. she's got a lot of transfers on that roster. And we'll see once the Pac-12 starts how they start to put those pieces together. But I've got an eye on them. And I've actually been voting for them at the bottom of the poll. They're 9-0. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, they're, and I think that they've got some good players and good pieces. And Sissoko is transferred from Syracuse and then from Minnesota. So she's done cold weather and now she's in bless her heart, Southern California, getting warm um, (laughs) and playing really, really well for USC. So, you know, I, you know, my point of reference here is leaning heavily West coast, but there are transfers all over this country that are making a really quick impact on teams and their fortunes. And you can see it. Yeah, absolutely. And one of those uh, that is really intriguing to me, and I have been, uh, I have been high all season long, from the get-go in the preseason on Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. And because I really like uh, I like Neil Ivy. I like the culture. I like the system. I think there's an edge back to the Fighting Irish. I think they look uh, just to have a, a bit of a swagger back in women's basketball at Notre Dame. And but they have a Mabry. And they have a Mabry. They do have a Mabry. Absolutely. <laughs> they, they continue to have them, and they just kind of keep coming and coming. But when we talk about the ACC, I think the ACC is stacked, number one, an incredibly difficult league this year when you start talking about it top to bottom. The Notre Dame, Virginia Tech, you mentioned North Carolina, you've got NC State. I mean, it's a very difficult league. Mm -hmm. But going back to Notre Dame, one of the things that seemed to be missing uh, a year ago with outstanding guards, young players, but so talented out front, the Olivia Miles, Citron, et cetera, Mm -hmm. was a post presence. She goes to the portal. She gets two different kinds of post players. She gets Lauren Ebo, who comes from Texas, mm-hmm. a bigger, more back-to-the-basket, true post. She's going to bang you. She's going to be physical. And then Kylie Watson, who came from Oregon, who is a little bit more of that hybrid 3-4-5 player. But again, size, athleticism, some strength. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden, Notre Dame just looks different. And they're playing a little bit different and high-level confidence Sometimes it doesn't have to be the marquee transfer or the marquee player. It's just a piece of the puzzle. I feel like Notre Dame may have found that in the portal. Isn't it so interesting that you can go sort of as a coach, you can almost go shopping for what you need now in the portal, right? Like, I mean, really, like it's not, you know, it's just so it, it's just such an interesting rather than having to wait for the development of a player. Yeah. Um, you know, talking about patience, right? You know, talk the players having patience, but the coaches don't have to actually have the same kind of patience they used to either. You you can wait for the development of a player who might not be coming along as quickly as you hoped, even if you recruited them and they're whatever. You get to go look in that portal and go find what you need. And so, and I think Notre Dame does that. Women's basketball is better when Notre Dame's good. I love, you know, I just, you know, I, Notre Dame is a brand name in women's basketball. And to have those brand names maintain that spot, I mean, no, you know, Gina would be the first one to tell you. I mean, everybody always used to say Connecticut's reading women's basketball. They're too good. They're too this, right? 
the world is caught up and it's fun and it's exciting, but you also want those brand names to continue to be good because those are the names that people recognize and having Notre Dame have a good season and a good team. And Neil, Niall, Avi, she's great coach. I just, I'm excited that Notre Dame's good again, but you're right. I mean, you can plug holes so quickly in the portal now and yes. say, what do I need? And it doesn't have to be, like you said, it doesn't have to be an Angel Reese. doesn't have to be an Asia Blackwell. It can be somebody who is going to fill a need for you. And, you know, and it happens quickly. Absolutely. And I, I will say, I think Christmas may have come early uh, in South Bend because this has just hit uh, the inboxes. And actually, I saw it per our colleague Mitchell Northam at the next, but it has been released by the University of Notre Dame that a five-star recruit, Cassandra Prosper, the 6'2 uh, forward, she's from Canada, the number 16th player in the class of 2023. She is reclassifying. She is enrolling at Notre Dame. She will play with them for the second semester. So yes, Christmas came early and that is a gift because that is scoring and athleticism that comes into an already stacked roster. I think the ACC may have just got shook up just a little bit more with that addition for Notre Dame. A little bit. Yeah. But you, you know, I mean, it's going to be a big transition player yes, coming in yes. and playing and halfway through the season. Like I want an expectation. I want to level expectations a little bit, but also understand how valuable that experience is for both Notre Dame and for Cassandra. I mean, yeah. if we look at somebody, you know, you've got like Talia Von Olhoffen over at Oregon state came in during the COVID year. Mm -hmm. She came in halfway through. She is technically a sophomore, but she has almost three years of experience under her belt, two more years of eligibility and she's that team's leader now. She's, you know, you come in and you put yourself in a position to contribute quickly, to get experience quickly, to gain experience. Like, you know, there's, you know, if if a kid can do that, it really better it can benefit both ends of that equation pretty quickly. Absolutely. Okay. In just a moment, we've got half of December left. And then it's 2023. So what haven't we necessarily learned yet about some of the teams across the country and maybe what we have seen and we'll learn more about Michelle and I are going to talk about it in just a moment. But before we do that, everybody knows that these days, every new potential hire that you make for your business may feel like a high stakes wager. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. We have all been in the situation where we've made contacts via LinkedIn, and it's simply just open door after door in the professional world. And it is incredibly easy to create a free job posting at LinkedIn Jobs. All you've got to do is create your posting, then you add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. So LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster, Post your job today for free at linkedin.com slash NBA. That's linkedin.com slash NBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, everybody. I am Missy Heidrich. Thank you for joining us here on Lockdown Women's Basketball. I am with Michelle Smith. All right, Michelle, you mentioned early brand names, and that's one of the things we were talking about. UConn, they've been weathering the storm. 
uh, Maryland gets them over the weekend. Um, that's a, I, I feel like a brand name in women's basketball. I mean, mm-hmm. Brenda Freese won a national title. She right. is, you know, she just went over 600 uh, career wins. I mean, that is, that's a brand name in women's basketball, but there's a couple others. I think over the course of this first month of the season, um, that people had everybody ranked high in their polls. Everybody looked in at the start of the year and said, yep, that's going to be it. And it seems to me that everybody falls on hard times. Everybody has to figure out what they're doing. But let's talk a little bit about two for me, um, Tennessee and Louisville, mm-hmm. two different leagues. Tennessee's in the SEC. You've got Louisville in the ACC. Louisville was in the final four a year ago. Let's talk about um, the Cardinals and what Jeff Walsh has done. I've always said he's been a master of the portal, mm-hmm. finding the right people, the right places, kind of going in and shopping for what you need. Hasn't necessarily put together what they have wanted to do so far this season. Is there something that stands out to you that might be that intangible factor? Or is this just a Louisville squad that hasn't found their footing yet? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, we're a month into the season and I think in the case of Louisville, I don't think that they've just put it together yet. I don't have, I feel pretty good about Louisville being in the mix at the end of the season. I'm not sure this is a final four team, but I think that this is a, you know, I mean, I think this is a team that can challenge for a conference title. I think this is a team that by late February, March is going to find its groove. I mean, sometimes these things I think have a hard time coming together right away. And you're, and it's about your scheduling and who you've put on your schedule and how you've challenged yourself and, you know, have, you know, I just think Louisville, I have faith that Louisville is going to find its way back. Um, Jeff Walsh is too good of a coach. They've got some good players on that roster. I think Louisville is going to figure it out and find its way back. It's just a matter of, you know, finding that chemistry, putting it together. I don't see this being a long-term problem for them. Um, you know, in a sense, it's, you know, it, this kind of stretch is a wake-up call for teams too. If you're not, you know, if you, if the buy-in's not there, you know, it goes one of two ways. Either this is snaps them back into buy-in or it comes apart. I just don't see a Jeff Walls team where the buy-in doesn't come into play at some point. Yeah, I would agree with you. And, and I think you're right. And part of it comes down to as well is everyone has looked at their non-con and said, we have to challenge ourselves. We have got mm-hmm. to go play people. You know, you can't play directional schools and sit at 11 and 0 and then just jump into league play and hope for the best. You've got to figure out kind of who you've got and what you've got. I credit Louisville because they've played a tough schedule. Yeah. Tennessee has done the same. You know, Texas has done the same. Let's talk about, let's talk about the Lady Vols for a moment this has been up and down and it has been kind of all over the place for Kelly Harper. She did what a lot of people have done. She went to the portal. She brought in big transfers, mm-hmm. scores, impact type players, but it really hasn't gelled and they haven't been able to get everybody together. Now she's dealing with losing a player for the year to, um, you know, a, a medical issue and losing Tamari key who will be out for the year because right. of, a blood clot issue and they're just trying to make sure that she can be healthy uh, outside of basketball, just in, in her normal life. But I think that Tennessee might be one of those cases where we've got all of this stuff on paper. We look like a million bucks, but Mm -hmm. we haven't quite figured out how to cash in yet. Well, and she's got, you know, she had Rikia Jackson out of the lineup for undisclosed reasons for a period of time. And she played this weekend and, you know, but they've got, and they've got Stanford next weekend. Yes. <laughs> they're going to come to Maples and they're going to play Stanford as part of that annual series this weekend. So, you know, and they've played some tough games. So I, you know, Tennessee's one that I'm, 
I'm not sure why, but I think that between the, the, um, if you've got a player sitting out and, you know, for reasons that you don't want to disclose for a period of time, if, um, you know, Tamar Keith, you know, that situation can hit a team really hard because it's not a knee or an ankle. It's something, frankly, that's a little scarier than that. And then you're worried about, you know, I mean, blood clots in the lungs are life threatening. And so yes. you're not going to mess around with that, obviously, but that can shake a team in a different way and shake young players in a different way too. So I'm a little more wait and see on Tennessee um, to see how, you know, how they put it back together than I am. And that has nothing to do with Kelly Harper versus Jeff Waltz or whatever, but I just think the situations are a little bit different. And um, I think that, you know, Tennessee is going to be an interesting team to watch because I think it's going to be how they put it together. All right. As you look at your weekly poll, um, teams that have teams that have surprised you teams that have impressed you early ones where you've said, Ooh, not at all what I expected. We've seen, we've seen everybody now for about six weeks. What stands out to you? I give Kansas, Kansas wasn't ranked. I gave them a huge jump way into the, I springboard them into my poll this week because what they did in Arizona and McHale in front of a big crowd, um, they took apart Arizona and Arizona, I, Arizona, like ASU, hadn't really played anybody yet. Um, <laughs> but this is, but that was really, really impressive to me. Kansas was like, that was a big leapfrog for me. Mm -hmm. I am, you know, I'm keeping an eye on, you know, teams like, you know, I want to see how UCLA again, coming back to the West coast, but UCLA Corey close is a great coach. She's got Kiki Rice on that roster. She's got charisma Osborne. She's got some pieces and they're playing really, really well. And what's interesting was she's got a really high rated freshman class. And when she had a class that came in, few years ago that with it was the Monique Billings Jordan Canada class she overscheduled them and they stumbled and they took a little while to get their footing back to be frank she didn't she didn't really make that mistake twice they didn't overschedule but they have scheduled some good teams and then they go to Columbia and they play South Carolina tough um and she gets the payoff for sort of graduating that young group into the deep end of the pool and so I think UCLA is going to be a really interesting team as we watch throughout the course of the season too. I mean, those are two that kind of stick out for me that are making quick climbs in the poll. Um, Utah is going to find itself in the top 10 and that'll be interesting to see how they respond to that. Cause they're not used to being in that spot. Yeah. Um, I, I think you're right. There's some people they're going to move and they're going to all of a sudden say, Ooh, look at that number next to us. That is a little bit different. I want to ask you before we, before we end, I have been pleasantly surprised by what we've seen out of teams from the big East above and beyond UConn. Mm -hmm. uh, Villanova, Creighton, mm -hmm. DePaul playing better. This has been a, a big East that has a lot of talent, sometimes flies under the radar, gets a little bit squashed because you've got UConn sitting there at the top. Not everybody really talks about it, right. but I like what I see out of the big East. I feel like it's going to be competitive night in, night out. And there's going to be a lot of challenges and a lot of people having to take notice. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think when you, when everybody, when you assume that everybody is just, you know, everybody's going to finish second fiddle to Connecticut, then I think there's just a little bit of a disregard that happens with the rest of the conference. Um, I think there are some good, really good teams in this conference. It'll be interesting just to see how all of that translates though, once we get to the end of the season, right? Like, you know, what, at what level are the Big East, these good Big East teams playing? Are they playing good at a national level? Or are they playing in a really competitive conference race? And we'll see. I think we're going to see that pretty soon. Yeah. And that's the breakdown of everybody. You know, uh, we we said it earlier. It's the challenge of your non-con. 
go out and play people. That's been the directive. You've got to, you've got to take your, your conference strength of schedule. We've all got to help each other. All boats rise. Mm -hmm. Everybody go schedule. Everybody go play. You challenge yourself. Some people stumble. Some people rise. Is it something that they can sustain? Nobody's really sure of yet, but it seems to me, it goes back to something you said at the very beginning. We're seeing parity in women's basketball. Mm -hmm. It's something that people have talked about on the men's side in the collegiate game for years, that that has happened. Maybe it's been the transfer portal. Maybe it's been kids making different decisions out on the recruiting trail for them personally. I don't know. But I do like the fact that we've got more to talk about other than maybe just 10 programs every year. It makes college ba women's college basketball so much more entertaining. It does. And what we're going to wait for next is when we get to talk about a lot of different teams at the end of March and April. And we yeah. haven't, we still don't quite get there. Yes. We've got, we're getting, we're, we're inching our way toward having those conversations, having a regular season and having a top 25 ranking that has new names and names that you didn't expect to see, whatever is really, really good for the game. And the next step is to see if that changes come into the season, because it still seems to be when we get to the final weekend of the season, it still seems to be the names we know. And, you know, and we'll see how much that changes, because I think in at least a couple of cases that, might, you know, at least half that final four field in my mind is already sort of in in a setup for names we know. Yeah. Um, and we'll see where we go from there. Yeah, but that's why you play the games. It that's only right. takes one, right? And a, a win comes, whether it's by one point or by 21 points. Okay, before I let you go, Michelle, I have to ask you, um, I had Alex Simon on last week. He's out there on the West Coast in yeah. the Bay Area with you out in that. Um, I'm a Midwest person, Big 12, live in this area. You are you have the 49ers. You get Brock Purdy on display yesterday. Um, I, I'm, I'm a big 12 kid. So it's always nice to see former of uh, big 12 players uh, make it big on the big stage, but Brock Purdy and the 49ers. What a great story. Yeah, that was fun. Um, I, I, and I'm going to confess, wasn't sad to see him take down Tom Brady. Um, <laughs> but it was, you know, that's Brock Purdy has been a great story. I will share with you. My husband's an NFL writer who covers the 49ers and he's been on the Brock Purdy beat all week. And so we, he was talking to high school coaches and friends and people and just sort of like, you know, getting sort of that, you know, this is your life, Brock Purdy. And to have him come out and have a game like that. And then to watch his parents. And that is what, oh. that is, that is my, my weak spot, watching the families and then watching his parents up there, just sort of reacting to seeing their kid do this on the, you know, on the biggest stage, it yeah. was, that was, it was a pretty good day um, for 49er fans and for the Purdy family. And yeah, it's fun. It's yeah, good. No, that, that was fantastic. I'm the same way. I think it, to see people um, rise to the challenge, have that opportunity to take advantage of it and to have their loved ones be able to be there and see it with them. I mean, that, that's the icing on the cake. Those are, those are the best pictures that you can find anywhere. I'll take that over any game highlights all day. That's well, you get to I see them again in a couple of days. Cause they have the Thursday night game this week against Seattle. So well, there we go. Everyone's tuning in, tuning in. All right, Michelle, where does everybody find you on a daily basis, my friend? You're going to find me on a daily basis on the next, and you're going to find me on pack12.com. So um, holding it down on the, the side, holding down the side hustle. And then most days you're going to find me at San Jose State locked in my office. So there you go. <laughs> well, it is Monday and I have been so, so uh, blessed to have Michelle Smith on today. And it has been fantastic. There's so much going on in women's basketball. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in and for listening today. You can find me at Missy Heidrich on Twitter. All of my amazing colleagues, please check us out at the next. 
Follow this podcast at Lockdown WBB. Join me here on Mondays. We talk college hoops and everything else that comes with it in college athletics. But come back all this week for more episodes of Lockdown Women's Basketball. It's news and notes, international basketball news and notes, the moves across the WNBA, coaching hires, front office moves, everything going on. We've got you covered at the next and right here on Lockdown Women's Basketball. Thank you for making this your first listen. For your next listen, check out Locked On Sports today. The biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. Available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you, everybody. It has been a pleasure, Michelle. Join us again next time at Locked On Women's Basketball. We've got you covered. Everything you need to know, it's all right here.